So if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to talk, turn to Psalm 106. And uh, it's, it's a longer psalm, uh, 48 verses, and I will not read all of it right now for the sake of time, but keep, keep it open. I'll be referencing it throughout our time here. I want to read one verse. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. Father, we, like the psalmist, like the song that we just sang, it expresses your unwavering and relentless faithfulness to your people. And our desire here tonight, Lord, is to learn, to learn what is to motivate that, to learn why you commanded, to learn how we might be better formed after the image of Christ. So, Father, I pray that your spirit would be our teacher, that you would make us a relentlessly gracious and thankful people. Would you do this for the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So if you were to read Psalm uh, 105 and Psalm 106, then you would notice that they are uh, songs that uh, admonish us to give thanks. But if you turn over to Psalm 107, you would see that it too begins the same way, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good which is the same way that 106 begins. And if you're thinking about the arrangement of the Psalter, Psalm 106 is the last Psalm in book four. Psalm 107 is the first book in book five. And so the arranger ends book four with this theme of thanksgiving. And then when you start book five, the same theme is there again. And if you were reading these Psalms in your daily devotion, you would be tempted to think that, hey, I just read this yesterday, and that's not true. It's a different day. It's a different psalm, but the theme is the same. It's that of gratitude. It's as if the Holy Spirit, through the psalms, they're training us for hearts that are molded and shaped by the gospel. The Holy Spirit, through the psalms, it it wants us to learn to love God's Word, to treasure it, The Psalms, through the Holy Spirit, they they want us to learn to wait upon the Lord in hardships. The Psalms, through the Holy Spirit, they, they want us to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And one of those other graces that the Holy Spirit wants to develop in the hearts of God's people is this idea of gratitude. That on the list of those things that God desires, gratitude is a part of what it means to be followers of the Lord. It's just as important of, as the other virtues that you see in this book. And so I want to think about it uh, th- first through this, this idea that gratitude is commanded. That if you look at it, it says, praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Psalm 105, and it says the similar thing. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Psalm 106, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Psalm 107, oh, give thanks to the Lord. They all start with that same command, and this isn't a recommendation. It's actually a commandment, and they each add a little nuance to it. Psalm 107 would say, give thanks to the Lord. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. In other words, that psalm does not just want our thanksgiving to stay in our minds or stay in our hearts. It actually is admonishing us and commanding us to be vocal. 
like, like say it, like communicate it. And this should not strike us odd as you read the Psalms. The Psalms are engaging the whole person in worship. It wants you to taste and see and know that the Lord is good. His word is like honey. It wants you to behold the Lord in his temple. And when it comes to gratitude, the psalmists are trying to get us to move just from feeling it and just from thinking about it to actually communicating it with our mouths. Now, why? I think one of the reasons you see why the psalmist has to command gratitude it's because of what we see in verse 13 in our text. And John prayed it. We are forgetful. Look at what the psalmist says. But they soon forgot his works. And so one of the reasons the psalmist is telling us to give thanks, to do this audibly, is because we are a forgetful people. That we're going to look at some of the failures of Israel in this text, but the failure before the failures was this idea of ingratitude. And this isn't the only place that we see it in Romans 1 and that litany of, 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 of sins. Uh, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unbelief suppress the truth. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened, and therefore God gave them over. And so this giving over that you see in Romans 1, if you were to go back up the ladder and see where it starts, Romans 1 actually says it actually starts with ingratitude. And then it cascades down into deeper and darker sins. And so we might say that, Ingratitude really is like a gateway sin to a degree. That the heart that is not thankful is ripened for coveting. The heart that does not take the time to see and meditate upon what God has given is prone to over-desire what God has not given. And so when God speaks of in this commandment to practice gratitude, it is actually a grace of God. God is actually getting in there saying, slow down, contemplate, and think, and see my goodness. And so he remedies this sin with the commandment to practice gratitude. And so we're going to do that tonight. You're going to hear from several people, and we're going to practice this gratitude corporately and together. The question that I want to ask of this text is, well, what fuels gratitude? Because it's a command out of the gate of the psalm. It is a commandment. Give thanks. Well, the question is, well, what should fuel it? That if you skim this passage, you'll notice several things that the psalmist thinks of. In verse 8, it says, he saved them for his namesake. In verse 9, it says, he rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry. In verse 19, he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. Waters covered their enemies. In verse 30, Phineas has stood up and intervened. 
and the plague was stayed. In verse 43, many times the Lord delivered Israel. In verse 44, nevertheless, he looked upon them in their distress and he heard their cry. In verse 45, for their sake, he remembered the covenant and relented according to his abundance of his steadfast love. In verse 46, he caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. What the psalmist is doing is recounting the history of Israel, that when they were in bondage in Egypt, when they were journeying through the wilderness, what the psalmist sees is God's unrelenting goodness to them. But what's the umbrella that all of these mighty deeds might be rolled under? I think you see it. It's book, it bookends this psalm. You see it in verse 1, and you see it in verse 45. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, because his steadfast love endures forever. Turn over to verse 45. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. In other words, what the psalmist is saying, if you want to see what God's hesed, his covenant loyalty looks like, it looks like these minor deliverances over and over and over and over again in the history of Israel. God's hesed was not this pie-in-the-sky idea, but it was really God breaking into their midst and acting on their behalf. And he says, that is God's covenant loyalty. Sally Lloyd-Jones says it like this when she defines this, this covenant faithfulness of God. No, it's a no matter what in spite of everything, God would always love his children with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's what I want my children to remember. It's a never stopping, never breaking, relentless, always faithful love that shows itself in our lives. Now, Here's what's beautiful about this song, that there's a woman by the name of Nancy Walford, and she has written a commentary on the Psalms. And here is what she writes about Psalm 106 and Psalm 107. So listen carefully. She says, Psalm 106 and Psalm 107 are like twins, but they are not identical twins. They are fraternal Both are historical psalms that recount the history of Israel. But Psalm 105 accentuates the positive. For example, in narrating the Exodus, Psalm 105 only mentions all all of the mentions of Israel's rebellion. It's omitted in in that psalm prior to it. And when you look at Psalm 107, it's the complete opposite. Now, take this in. I think I got my Psalms wrong. Psalm 105 and Psalm 106. She's saying when you look at Psalm 105 and Psalm 106, they're twins, and they're both recounting the covenant faithfulness of God, but the accent point is different. In the Psalm prior to this, none of what Israel did that was rebellious even comes up. In Psalm 106, the only thing that comes up is their rebellion. In Psalm 105, that the great enemy is the nations. It's the, it's the enemy outside of them. It's the nations that pursued them. 
And Psalm 106, you want to know who the enemy is? The enemy is Israel. It has been rebellious. And so look at a few of the verses. Look at verse 6. It says, both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. Verse 13, they forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. Verse 16, men were jealous of Moses. Verse 19, they made a calf at Horeb and worshiped a metal image and on and on and on. And yet, did you catch that? In Psalm 106, it's accentuating their waywardness. It's accentuating all the ways that they transgressed. And yet you want to know what it also accents? God will not abandon Israel. Psalm 105 says they were attacked from without and God would not abandon Israel. Psalm 106 actually says they were wayward and forgetful at heart. And even there, God would not abandon Israel. He had made a covenant with them to be their God and to be their people. And their rebellion would not get in the way of his faithfulness. That is what Psalm 106 says. And isn't that good news? Could we not look at our own lives and see failure and see ingratitude and see idolatry and see grumbling and see complaining and see forgetfulness? Would this psalm not say to us in that place where we're in the wrong that your God will never, ever leave you or forsake you? You know, he's made that covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ that the reason the Lord can love you with that unwavering love is not because we're faithful. It's because another was faithful in our place. And God will keep covenant with his people because of the person and work of Jesus. And brothers and sisters, this is the fuel for gratitude. God doesn't say, give thanks, give thanks, give thanks, just to say it. He's actually saying, give thanks because I'm worthy and because I'm faithful. You have tasted it. You've seen it. You've experienced it. The last thing is, what is the benefit of this? We've looked at the command. We've looked at what fuels it. What is the benefit of practicing gratitude? On the one hand, it's like all of God's commandments, right? That, that it's for God's glory. But there's also another side of this, that it is for our good The Gottman Institute has done extensive research on gratitude. Doctors John uh, and Jude Gottman have been researching marriages for several decades, and they have consistently found that marriages with a high ratio of positive to negative interaction, five to one, have the highest rates 
of intact, satisfying marriages. Teaching couples to demonstrate appreciation is one of their model couple therapies, having found that appreciation can undo hurtful and negative experiences. And so what their research is saying is that couples that can learn to practice gratitude, that can learn to stop saying what I want, what I will get, and turning inward and saying, I'm thankful for what I have and who we are, that that revolutionizes the marriage. That that simple turning to look and to see what God has been up to around us, paying attention, is easy and it's free. And it's a blessing. That what would it be like if rather than complaining and grumbling, we actually took time to say, you know what? I'm thankful. What would it be like to, instead of dreaming about what we don't have, to actually stop and see what we do have? What would it be like, right? What, what kind of people and church and families would we be if we learned to practice gratitude? Well, here's the thing. God desires it. And he gives grace for us to do it. Christ is playing in a thousand places in our lives. And my prayer is that we would have eyes to see him. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, I pray that your unceasing, relentless goodness would fuel unceasing gratitude in the hearts of your people as we move to a portion of our service where we get to proclaim this and to hear this. Father, I pray that those coming up would not be the only ones doing this exercise. Would you, by your spirit, give us seasons in our lives and in our homes to stop and to see and to savor your goodness to us in Christ? We thank you even now for Brian and for Lee and their family as a church, how we can celebrate your goodness to us through them. Father, we see. Father, we are thankful. Father, we love you for the gift that they are and will be to us. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.